So Christmas is upon us and we are looking at our Advent series and what I wanted to do this year is something maybe a little bit different. Often when we look back in history we have a tendency to compare what we're experiencing now to what they were experiencing then and in the same way I think we can do that with Advent. Here's what I mean. In Advent, Advent is this idea of coming, of, of this new thing emerging and when we talk about Jesus coming uh, they were waiting for him. They were looking for him, their Messiah. And so in, in, in one sense, you could say like they were waiting, we are waiting, right? Like they were waiting for Messiah, we are now waiting for the return of Messiah. And so there are these parallels that we find in this whole idea of Advent. And so we're calling this one cheekishly Adventually, I know it's lame, it's dad humor, but that's okay. I'm old and you can deal with that. Um, but if you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was one of the, he was the youngest disciple, and he's the one who actually ended up living the longest of all of the disciples. And he writes in John chapter 14, and, and actually before I start reading it. Uh, if you're not sure where the book of John is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. Please just use it. You're going to find out where things are, and you're going to become more confident and comfortable. So John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, and for this, our time together, I'm going to entitle this message, Adventually Waiting. So here's what it says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you will know the way to where I am going. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together right now. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your word, that there would be excitement, that there would be uh, Lord, even if it's just a review for some of us, that it would rekindle a passion of waiting and looking for you. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. So, uh, I would suggest to you that waiting is actually one of the hardest things for us to do, uh, especially when we talk about the Christmas season. And, and I will just say it, like, we really hate waiting. And, and if there's ever an example of that, uh, if you want to see the fury of the heat of a thousand suns, then just go to Costco uh, over the Christmas season and you'll see those lineups going all the way from the cashier all the way to the back of the building towards the bakery. And it's, it's frustrating. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting in line. We don't like waiting for parking spots. And so just see what happens when you go to Costco during the holiday weekend. Or if you, deal, uh, you go to the airport and you see some weary travelers at the gate that are just informed that their flight home for the holidays is going to be delayed until the next morning. You get the point, right? None of us like waiting. We have these expectations and we have these desires um, that we just don't like having to, uh, well, wait. But in God's infinite wisdom, he seems to have chosen uh, to make extensive use of waiting in his sovereign, province, his sovereign purposes. So it's a common experience for the people of God in every generation that's been characterized by waiting. And, and uh, we're reminded of this reality every time we sing some of the most loved Christmas hymns. 
and carols. For example, like think of the opening standard stanza of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Right? Now, this is a, a very common song. Choirs sing it. Churches sing it. Uh, people caroling go and sing it. But listen to the opening stanza. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Listen, until the Son of God appear, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Now, in the Christian season of Advent is one of the, the one that deliberately builds into like our calendars and our schedules this idea of waiting. Just as God's people waited generation after generation for a promised king who would one day come and sit on David's throne and forever redeem Israel, we actually are waiting as well, but we're waiting for his return. We're waiting for that second coming. And so you can, if you choose, just to rush into Christmas, skipping right through the hectic pace of the holidays and completely miss out on worship, on the worship of waiting. But doing so comes at a cost, right? Like we're going to miss things. So let's talk a little bit about what waiting does for us. Uh, waiting on the Lord is dependent on the promises of God. And just you start reading in the beginning chapters of our Bible and and you'll quickly be struck with how much waiting there actually is. Like God guarantees that there would come a day when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, talking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is the story of redemption. In, in some sense, the story of waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. The Christian season of Advent is one that deliberately builds into this rhythm of waiting. Pretty quickly, though, we encounter larger-than-life figures who are also called to wait on the Lord. Noah was given a command to build an ark, and he obeyed in faith, waiting for the confirmation of when this flood was to come, the things that the Lord had spoken to be true. And so, of course, when the first raindrops began to fall, God confirmed his promise of judgment on the earth, and gracious provision for salvation of Noah and his household and all those creatures upon the ark. But the waiting didn't actually end there. We think about a guy by name that we call, or we understand him and remember him as Abraham. Though when we first meet him, uh, his name was Abram. And God establishes a covenant with him, promising to make him a great nation and to bless all the nations through him. But those promises didn't come to fruition overnight. Instead, Abram uh, spent years waiting, waiting for the arrival of the promised son uh, by Sarah, waiting for the small little family to expand into a great nation, waiting for the rest in their land. And if we keep moving forward, we talk about guys like King David. King David knew something was about waiting. He had been anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel, while he was still very young, but it would be a long time until his eventual rise to the throne. Until then, his life was marked with all sorts of ups and downs, including having to run for his life. Fast forward a bit in the Old Testament and things get rather quiet. Israel's return from exile is only partial. The glory of the old days seems lost and God seems to have gone silent. But the underlying question in that period in the Old Testament, between the Old Testament and New Testament, wasn't whether or not 
God was silent, but far more significantly, this haunting question of, has God abandoned his promises? Is hope for salvation lost? Will the righteous king promised long ago ever come to establish his perfect eternal rule? Will sin and death have the final say over the children of men? And then an angel appears to Zechariah, the Levite in the temple, promising a son to him and his wife that would be dedicated to the Lord. A young woman is visited by an angel telling her that she will that she's most blessed among women because she will bear the son conceived by the Holy Spirit who will save his people from their sins. And then one night in Bethlehem, this child is born just like millions of babies had been born before. But this birth is heralded and celebrated by a choir of angels on a hill, announcing the good news to a band of shepherds And what we know then is that God keeps his promises to everyone, to everyone. This is what we see as as we walk forward throughout the scriptures. God's keeping promise after promise after promise after promise. And so our waiting, you could say, our hope in the waiting is dependent on the promises of God. And maybe this Advent you're tempted to doubt God. Right? Like maybe, maybe you're experiencing so many different things in life. Like perhaps you're just tired, you're worn down, you're by fear, maybe by, by hurt, some anxiety. Maybe it's a combination of all these things. It may be that you see very little reason for hope when you look at the world or even at your own life and your family. It may be that leaders you once respected have broken your trust or disappointed you beyond repair. It may be that you're just finding yourself in a, in a place of conflict, even within yourself. But Advent calls us to renew our hope and our confidence in the promises of God. Don't miss this. Like Sometimes when we think about the Christmas season, it's, it's just about celebrating. And I'm not getting down on anybody for celebrating. These are important things. That's fantastic to celebrate. But I think sometimes we, we don't take a moment to just sit back and reflect on, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Do I still hang on to the promises of God that helps me get through the things in life? It calls us to renew our hope and confidence in the promises of God. It's a call to renewed faith in the God who never changes, who pledges himself to his people eternally and who has publicly demonstrated his covenant faithfulness at Calvary. So God's in this. Like, like He hasn't backed out. He's in this for the long haul. He says he will never leave you or forsake you. He says that nothing can separate you from his love. He says that he works to the good of those who love him in Christ Jesus. And so all these are promises and these are truths that we can hang on to in these times where, where life can sometimes feel complicated and the world around us might seem chaotic. The truth is, is that the cross and the empty tomb cast this long shadow backwards in time in the pages of the Old Testament as if to say to us, promise kept. Promises kept. And so now in our waiting, we trust 
in the promises of God. We trust that God is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. We trust that there's now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. We trust that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We trust that this momentary suffering is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. We trust that Jesus will return one day just as he left. We trust that uh, there is this final judgment that is his and that we will find refuge in the blood of the Lamb. We trust in his new creation that we will experience unbroken fellowship with God, completely absent of sin, of suffering, of pain, of tears, sorrow, or death. That is what Advent reminds us of in terms of the promises of God and, and the fact that we can count on him. But waiting on the Lord trusts also in the character of God. So it's not just trusting in the fact that he fulfills his promises and that he stays true to his side of this covenant relationship, but it's also that it trusts in the character of God. Like a promise is only as good as the character of the one making the promise. The season of Advent is a snapshot of the general Christian life as we live between times waiting for the fullness of Christ's kingdom. Our hope in the Lord is not impersonal or abstract, but it's entirely dependent on his character, on his faithfulness. And so here's the thing. You might be tempted to believe that God keeps his promises, but he does so grudgingly or out of a sense of obligation. But when you actually go through the text, like his scriptures to us, what we find is that God delights in covenant faithfulness. He experiences joy in fulfilling his promises to his people. Isaiah chapter uh, 30, verse 18, it says this, and this is important. It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. You catch that? He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait in him. So he he longs to be gracious to us. Like this is something that, like he's delighting in being gracious to us. He desires this. He delights in covenant faithfulness. He experiences joy in fulfilling his promises to his people. This is part of his character. And it would be ridiculous to wait patiently for someone to keep their promise that has a record of lies or broken promises. But that's not God. God is all about truth. He's never lied to us. God keeps his promises. And so we can have confidence in his character to be faithful to his own word. But it wouldn't be any wiser to wait on someone who would keep a promise that they, had the lack, that, that they didn't have the power to fulfill, right? Like it wouldn't make sense. But when it comes to the promises of God, Christians have absolute assurance that God not only possesses the power to keep his promises, but that he also has the heart to do so. It's part of his desire. In fact, God delights in keeping his promises, and that's why Isaiah can boast in the way that he is able to boast, that waiting on the Lord patiently actually produces happiness among the people of God. And so in this Advent season, I want to suggest that it reminds us that God was pleased to fulfill his covenant promises and send a Savior. We can count on his character. The other thing that we find then is that waiting on the Lord produces growth in godliness. Now, it, it may surprise you, but it seems that God most often uses periods of trial and waiting to produce the greatest growth in us. 
And, and maybe you haven't thought of this particular passage this way before in terms of waiting, um, but, but hear it. This is how James describes the value of trials, of, of waiting in the midst of trials. Consider it pure joy. This is James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And in order for perseverance to finish its work, there's space in there that we need to give in terms of waiting for that work to be finished. It doesn't get rushed. And it produces a faith that is mature, complete, not lacking anything. Some trials come from the fiery hot furnace of acute suffering and hardship, or they come in the form of that. But so many of the trials that you and I experience in the Christian life revolve around this dynamic waiting of enduring seasons of uncertainty, of hardship, or even sometimes discouragement. But God assures us that waiting isn't in vain. Like there's, there's purpose in it and there's value in it. Now, our waiting is only redeemed if it's marked by faith, like we're waiting on the Lord. And when he is the object of our faith, the one whom we, for whom we wait, on whom we wait, we can have full confidence that he is at work to accomplish his good purposes in us by grace. And sometimes it's hard to, to catch that, right? Although uh, often mysterious to us, this experience of waiting and the way in which God uses it to mature us in Christ is according to his infinite wisdom. Um, one, one of the more famous uh, Bible commentators and preachers is a guy by the name of J.I. J. Pack, Packer. And he captures this better than anyone that I've read in a very long time, of course, outside of the scripture. And he said, talking about uh, in a book that he wrote called Knowing God, he writes, God often keeps us waiting. He's not in as, as much a hurry as we are, and it's not his way to give more light on the future than we need for action in the present or to guide us more than one step at a time. When in doubt, do nothing, but continue to wait on God. When action is needed, light will come. And so this Advent, I would say, wait on the Lord. Trust that he is at work in and through your present circumstances to accomplish everything that he desires to accomplish in your life. Now, will you always understand it? No, you won't always understand it. Will it feel unbearable sometimes? Yes, but here's the truth. Waiting is temporary. All the things we've got going on in our world, all the things that create anxieties and frustrations and and, and all the conflicts that we may find ourselves dealing with or, or the struggles that we're finding along the way, whether they be relational, whether they be physical, whether they be financial, like whatever the struggle is, all of it is temporary. John 14, 1 to 3, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. And so the waiting is temporary because we know that Jesus went to prepare a place for us and he's coming back to take us there. That's temporary waiting. There's a fruition coming. There's a, there's a resolve coming. And so as 
Christians anticipate the coming day when there will be no waiting. Like we can look forward to this based on God's character, based on the fact that he fulfills his promises, based on the fact that he's truthful. So just think about that. In this new heaven, new earth, when God establishes his perfect, eternal, and consummate reign over the universe and establishes his dwelling among his people in fullness, there will be no more waiting, no more anticipation of promises yet to be fulfilled because everything is fulfilled. It is completed. That is an extraordinary reality, one that infinitely is infinitely beyond the grasp of our imagination and most certainly of our experience. In heaven, there will be no distance between the redeemed people of God and their king. There will be no more mystery, no more uncertainty. Here's the picture given to us in Revelation 22, 1-5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of a great, the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, stood the tree of life, sorry, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the levels or the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the vision that John gives of, of the fulfillment of all the longings, of all the hopes of God's people throughout redemptive history, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. There is coming a day when every one of God's promises will be fully and publicly demonstrated in their absolute fulfillment in Christ. And so, as we wait for his return, we do so secure in hope. Things may look bleak from time to time, as they surely did before Jesus is coming. They may, often, they may often tempt us to lose heart or even wonder if God is still at work. But John's vision of what is coming is for us a call to wait in hope, seeing by faith what is to come at the end of the age. I really like how C.S. Lewis says it. He captures this hope in a way that, well, honestly, only he could in the closing pages of The Last Battle, the final installment of the book series Chronicles of Narnia. And he says, and as he, Aslan, spoke, he no, lo- no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for this, as for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they, are all, li- they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of a real story. All their life in this world and in their adventures in Narnia had only been to cover or the cover of the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And so this Christmas, we await the end of this story and the beginning of the great story to come. And so may the roar of the Lion of Judah strengthen your hearts 
in this Advent season as we rest in the truth of His promises fulfilled, His character revealed, and our wait being temporary. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time. And I pray, Lord, that as we consider what it means for us to wait, that we would do so with a heart that is waiting with anticipation, looking for your return, desiring your return, and not looking at this life that we have in front of us right now as the ultimate reality, but, Lord, looking forward to the ultimate reality that you will bring that only comes through your Son. In your name I pray. Amen.